Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Everyone look at Strice. <laughs> hi, Strice. Oh, hi, Strice. How is your sex life? <laughs> That's what you get for walking into the exact right moment. So one game we have on Unsheathed is how red can we make Strice's face? Are we going? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Unsheathed Live at Rainforest. This is our fourth fourth time, time at this convention. Oh. It is. It uh, is our fourth. Yeah, because we yep. had we had two at the old hotel, and this is two here. And uh, and uh, welcome. We are here in the luxurious San Juan Suite at the Hilton Convention Center with uh, about what seven hundred people. Seven hundred yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I am Kyle Gold, and uh, uh, if you don't know who I am, uh, how many people here have not ever heard of Unsheathed before this convention? One? Wow. Two? Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. How many people have only come to Unsheathed at this convention? Wow. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. The loyal Well, for those for, for those of you who don't know who we are and those of you listening at home, I'm Kyle Gold. I'm a writer. I have written a bunch of books in various lengths and formats and uh, published in various places. I'm, I'm Cam Harasaki. I drink wine while other people watch. <laughs> and uh, we would like to thank uh, Running Cat for the wine. Which Would you like to describe it? Yeah, this is a 14 Hands Hot to Trot. Uh, it's a, uh, yes, it's, we have furry wine even. It's uh, one of the... It's a, it's a red blend. It, I'll, it, I'm about to drink it from my bucket to tell it, you all how it tastes. It it smells very whiny. Oh, you can really taste the grapes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very good. Thank you. Um, I also write stories and books. And, oh, uh, Producer Wolf needs uh, some as well, of course. Needs a little bit of love. Uh, Running Cat has also provided Mexican Coke with real sugar, not corn syrup. And our, uh, our friend and baker Sparf has provided these exquisite brownies which are only for the crew of Unsheathed Uh, and for those who are not familiar um, alongside myself and Cam is our producer Wolf Kit who is visible here although he's usually invisible and inaudible on most of our recordings and over there we have the audience panther Cario who is uh, reprising that role for I don't know is this the third or fourth time or something fourth time every year all right Uh, So we're here. What we like to do at this podcast is we talk a little bit about writing and we take your questions about writing. Cam and I both write adult stuff, so we occasionally talk about adult stuff. Somehow these panels, because they're late at night, usually end up having at least a little bit of that kind of content. Yeah. uh, But we will happily talk about writing, wine, Coke Coke Zero, Eagles, um, whatever else. Star Wars usually creeps into it somewhere. Um, and uh, or Prometheus, oh, Prometheus. Uh, we haven't talked about Prometheus on the show, have we? What's Prometheus? What's Prometheus? <laughs> um, I'm actually really anyway. glad I'm here this weekend. I almost wasn't able to make it. I was supposed to be officiating an NFL game on Sunday, but like that got cleared up at the last moment. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we're and we're very grateful for that on a number of levels. Although maybe the Seattle fans would have preferred for you to be uh, continuing too soon. Oh no! They'll be remembering this for a long time. Have you heard the uh, Have you heard the people that say, "Look, I don't care what you try, you can't make up for that Super Bowl." <laughs> yeah, uh, is that Super Bowl Forty? Uh, I, I don't was. remember the number. It was the. I don't think it was the that XL was the, one. It yeah. was the thirty-seven or thirty-eight. Was the uh, Was it forty? Yeah. Throwing okay. the like you know flag, you know Seattle player with the ball, fifteen-yard penalty. Yeah. <laughs> And apparently, like after that one, even the winning team complained about the officiating. So, anyway, we are uh, we are very pleased. This is our first podcast since the real referees have come back to work football. As you all know, this podcast loves sports and football in particular. So we're delighted to see America's game returned to its I don't know regular 
believable form. How is it that the, the Onion uh, put it? We want to restore the integrity to our brutal, inhuman game. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that I found funniest was the, the articles after the Seahawks call saying, okay, yeah, but remember when the real refs botched two calls at the end of games in the same season back in 1998? And... Uh, and I was just thinking, I bet the real refs are at home thinking, man, I'm glad we weren't working that game because, uh, man, they might have screwed it up too. But uh, anyway, they were very quick to jump on and say, oh, no, we would have made the right call for sure. Yeah, well. Hindsight is uh, <laughs> Hindsight and slow-mo, and yeah. slow-mo instant replay are yeah. uh, 2020 usually. Anyway, we have been having a, an excellent rain first. Uh, we, we are, uh, as always... Uh, we love to come to the con- this convention because they do so much to promote writing and the writing tracks. Um, Gene Armstrong, who is the chairman this year and has been sort of the guiding light of their writing in uh, in the years past, uh, always goes out of his way to make sure that we've got space to do this podcast. They were the very first ones to say yes to our Unsheathed podcast. Um, they have... Uh, they have so many panels that they have three different panels of writing 101 this year. Uh, so they, they really have a dedication to the art of writing that is, I think, unmatched elsewhere in, uh, in conventions, furry conventions that I've seen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very uh, positive. And not just because the, <laughs> if, if you release a book here, they'll give you wine. Yes, well, that too. <laughs> and bake you cupcakes and brownies and cookies. Yeah. Which are, which, yes, one cupcake. I'm sorry, it was one cupcake. They will bake you cupcake. And it was a cupcake as big as my head. Um, and so then, you know, we had to go through the, the awkwardness of cutting a cupcake, which is not something you usually um, think about. But we, we, so yeah, we have a slice of cupcake back in our room now from last night, which is pretty amusing. But yeah, so I launched a book. Um, the book is called Winter Games. It's another one of my experimenting with dual narratives, except this one, instead of being between two different characters, uh, is the same character, but taking place in the past and the present day. And it's, it was a lot of fun to write. It went uh, a little bit differently than I thought it was going to when I started, but that's kind of a characteristic of, of books for discovery writers like us. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, it, it sort of reads like a... Like a furry episode of Lost, but with skiing. Yeah. <laughs> and without confusing numerology. That's if, true. Um, but uh, but that went well, and uh, they, they so they <laughs> threw a launch party. A replacement rest. Yes. <laughs> um, but they threw they threw a launch party for that and for the Rain First anthology, uh, which was which was very nice. It was catered with a personal chef and pastry chef and. Just very impressive. So we stayed there and had a lot of fun last night. Um, today we've been doing panels, which all have gone pretty well. People come to the panels and seem to be getting a lot out of them, and they're asking questions, and um, they they say they're getting having a good time. Yeah. Um, the atmosphere has generally been pretty, pos- pretty positive. Pretty positive? Pretty positive. Hello, <laughs> wine bucket. <laughs> pretty positive just means that you can, like dress up in your pretty clothes and have an attitude and we're okay with that i was gonna say isn't prissy positive one of like the characters from the mr men books (laughs) yes yeah what up people who are as old as me that's right you know what Um, i'm talking about i yeah i did a uh i did a single page of of i don't want to call it fan fiction but i did an additional page for one of the mr books Because there was a there was like a Mister Forgetful and Mister Fussy, uh-huh. and it was just funny because like Mister Fussy had kept asking Mister Forgetful to do things and had no patience and 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 was like, but you keep, but he kept forgetting to do the things, and I was just like at one point I wanted to see him hit Mister Forgetful, so I <laughs> so so I drew it and it's like he has a little fist and Mister Forgetful has X's for eyes. It was it was great. Um. But anyway, enough about my early fan fiction. I was going to say, like, uh, when you said, like, I wrote, like, you know, Mr. Men fan fiction, I'm like, please tell me it wasn't Mr. Take All. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, oh, God, what was the... Uh, no, okay, I'm not going to go there. I just, <laughs> I just remembered what it was, and I don't want to talk about it. So I am actually, if, if any of you are going to be in the Minneapolis area next weekend... <clears throat> 
Uh, I'm do. going to be a I'm going to be a guest of honor at Galaxicon, which is a queer science fiction and fantasy convention. They were kind enough to invite me as a guest of honor, and in so doing, have called down the legions of furry to swell their ranks. So perhaps it was a shrewd move because their conventions are usually like two, three hundred people, and I think we get that just at a room party. So. Um, <laughs> And certainly all 900 of you in the audience here. Yeah. If at least half of you attend. Um, so that's going to be fun. But the reason I mention it is when, uh, when I was at Worldcon earlier in the year, I met one of my co-guests of honor at Galaxicon, who turned out to be – her name's Lada Morehouse. And she's really, really cool. We talked with her for like a couple hours, and she confessed that one of the things that she wanted to do at Galaxicon was read some of – have a midnight reading of some of her slash fiction. And I said, I would totally do that with you. Because I was in, wanted to get into the spirit of, I'm going to participate. I'm going to do things that are cool and, and counterculture. Reading slash fiction at midnight sounds awesome, and I want to be able to say I'd done that. And what did not go through my head at the time was, what slash fiction have I actually written? Um, and really, when I got to thinking about it, there was only one thing that I have written that qualified... And so when she wrote me recently saying um, she, her, her main concern now is getting through reading her own slash fiction without being completely embarrassed, uh, I said, well, I'm going to be reading Coyote Roadrunner slash, so I think you will be um, – it will at least be on the same level. I think um, you just killed Sparf. Oh, my God. <laughs> if uh, – if, um, it's, it's not your childhood, it's I promise. It's not your childhood. It's, if, it's, it's way worse. If any, of you, if any of you remember one of the eight million terrible projects that Warner Brothers has tried to capitalize off the success of the original Looney Tunes with, um, called Lunatics Unleashed, which came out about six years ago? I don't know. Their premise is oh, that's, the descendants... That's so depressing to hear. The descendants of the original Looney Tunes in the 20... 8th century or 29th century are given superpowers by the impact of this mysterious meteor. Oh, God, that was part of the backstory, wasn't it? Oh, yes, it was. I had blocked that out. Good oh, yeah. God. No, I had to look it up recently because I had to go look through all my stories. And they're summoned by this mysterious woman named Zadavia to oh, band together and fight crime. And the crime always seems to be like super-powered versions of the Looney Tunes villains. Um, there was a uh, there was a Yosemite Sam. There and, was, yeah. Um, anyway, so there's a there's Rev Runner who actually talks, um, and, and there's a Tech Coyote who makes inventions and also talks. And the first season, there were just a couple little things between them. There was. Uh, um, there was a moment where Tech rescues Rev. Anyway, and so all of the stuff that I wrote was after this first season. And then in the second season, there was an it got episode. Real gay. It, there was an <laughs> there's an episode where Tech has to meet Rev's family. <laughs> there was a line where, and I think it might have been in that same episode. It was where actually. Yeah. Rev says, uh, like Tech agrees to go meet the family, and Rev says. Oh, gee, Tech, if you were a coyote and a guy, I'd kiss you. <laughs> and Tech says, Lucky for me, I'm bull. <laughs> and then he flashes in the most suggestive wink ever. Like, we're watching this, and I'm just like, Did these people find your fanfic? It's like, like it was, it like, was fairly epic. I, I, was, was that when Kit fell out of the chair? Oh, <laughs> no, no, that was 30 Rock. Um, but, um, so, yeah, unfortunately, the show was terrible. I mean, the first season, the first, this is my darkest rising, like, the first season was bad, and the second season was beyond imagining. Like, the first season was bad, but it was enough to inspire me to write fan fiction. The second season was so bad, I didn't want to write anymore. So if you're wondering why Kyle never wrote more stories in that series, you know why now. Yeah, so, but I was looking, I was looking back through this, because I was like, oh, so I have like, uh, what do I, I did like two stories, I think. I, I've, I've done four, um, 
And the first one was just a, hey, what if they hooked up? And then the second one introduced a little bit of plot and is a little longer. And then the third one begins like this whole storyline with not them, not about them specifically, but about an actual villain and plot because I was so desperate for them to have an actual story to go with this universe. And I only got like halfway through it and then the second season showed up and I was just like, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> it's, it, it was, uh, when I was making them gay, it was cute and funny. When you do it, it's just weird. It's just, <laughs> it's just sad. It's like, you know, when you're, when you're kind of, you know, gently mocking a politician for being clueless and then he shows up and says something like 47% of Americans are shiftless bums and I will never be able to get them to take responsibility for their own lives and you're just like you're worse than my parody of you now and I don't want to I can't do this anymore so anyway um, so I'm going to read the second story and uh, I'm going to read it out loud at midnight and Lida is going to hopefully read her story um should I tell him about the signs? So one of the things that she said is the last time she tried to read Slash, she couldn't bring herself to say certain words. So she had to designate the audience to say the words for her when they came up in the story. So she would get to a point in the story and then, you know, point. And so we're thinking we're going to, like, make little signs so that people can say the words so that she doesn't have to say them. And, <laughs> and then I'm going to make a list of words for my story because, you know, it's only sporting. I'd have to join in. Like, I don't understand. Why can't you say the word sheath? What's weird about that? Oh, you, you don't, if you only knew. You'll find out when we get partway through this story. Uh, yeah. I'm going to re-up my bucket. Yeah. Um, yeah, there have been... Weren't, weren't you the one who, like, your coworkers came back from Starbucks and was like, the Christmas sheaths are here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> No, it was no, that, that that was great. And you're like, I can't explain why that's making me laugh. <laughs> like Christmas sheets, ooh, they're so festive. They have snowflakes on them. Didn't didn't that lead directly to me writing Miracle it, on Thirty Fourth Sheet? In fact, it did. Yes. And I love how like somebody like read this like, oh, like Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. I get it. Like. Congratulations. <laughs> Get a cookie. Yes. Speaking of, chocolate oh, with your wine? I would love some. This, 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 to... is, this is the same group of coworkers, by the way, where uh, there was a... Um, we worked in, in media, and there was a scene in something we were producing where uh, a character winds up crawling back into uh, the... He has a giant clone of his mother... And he crawls back up into the mother's vagina. Of course he does. And so we were discussing how we needed to address this with the censors. And, you know, so we're in a status meeting and the producer is explaining this scene. And he says this. And I go, wow, I'm like, like, this has an unbirthing scene? And, like, there's a moment like, wait, there's a word for that? And, and then there's a pause. I was like, wait, why do you know it? Awkward, awkward I moments. Drink to forget blank. <laughs> yes. Moments when your furriness slips out and you don't mean it to. Um, right. So anyway, so as not to go on too much about things that are going to happen at other conventions. Um, I also, I did a reading at Rainforest here where I read part of Winter Games for people and read part of another book that I have been talking about for a little while, um, which is my non-adult non-completely furry so most of my books are all like furry people in furry worlds um, this is in a world where actually furries were created by magic once and no one can replicate it but so there's this little like minority population of furries that exist alongside humans and it's an alternate history clearly where magic exists there are magic schools and it takes place in 1815 uh, I've been talking about it for a while. The furry characters are called Calatians because the mage who created them was the mage Calatus, and, you know, he's gone and no one else can do it, except furries. They can create more furries, but... Um, how? I'll tell you when you're older. Um, it's, uh, 
it's a book that I've been working on for a while, and people keep saying, you know, is it going to come out? Is it going to be published? And I, I am working on it. That is what I mean. The, the book is finished, and I'm working on getting it published. But I read and I read a little bit of the beginning of it for people here, and uh, people seem to like it quite a bit. So the uh, what I try to what I try to do with my readings when I do readings at a convention is I might read a little bit from whatever book I've most recently put out or I'm most recently going to put out, but also. I'll bring the laptop and just be like, here's a bunch of other stuff that I've been working on recently that you know may or may not be coming out soon or getting published. What do you guys want to hear? And so if that's an incentive for you guys to come show up at my readings at conventions, then uh, that you might get to hear something that uh, won't come out for years or if at all. It's like listening to me talk about my work on the podcast. <laughs> but um, um, are we at a point where we should get questions from people yet? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Well, what else? So, what else have you? What have you had going on at Rain First? Because I've, um, I've been talking about me. I've um, actually, it's funny. I had a panel earlier today where we were talking about uh, ways you can have humans and furries in the same setting, and we had a big you know, discussion about using. You know, what was the big magic. point? Oh, magic. Well, magic was one of them. We did magic and sci-fi, and then like sort of surrealism, mm-hmm. and then we also had sort of like the separate subcategory, which is like the secret lives of animals, mm-hmm. which is kind of you know like Watership Down and that kind of thing where. Mm-hmm. You basically treat animals as people having their own sort of thing. So that was a lot of fun. Cool. Um, I have a I have a, a shiny new bucket, which I also obtained tonight. I, I you I, did bring I brought, you I did bring the old bucket one. just in case you guys weren't. Remember, I, I'm, I'm not. It still has a place in my heart. Like it's did you get the new bucket the same place? I did, and it was full of the same delicious mix of five different rums. Um, bucket collection. I do. Wow. Have, I, have, I have three buckets now. Is that on your list? <laughs> Yes, I've, I've, it's I've like a, a three bucket night. <laughs> oh, no, they cap you at two buckets a person. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> they're full of so much liquor. Did, did you get what he said? Is it on your list? Yes, I did. I was, I was trying to think of a a bucket list joke about buckets. Yeah, like, like, I think that just is the joke. Yeah, I think it was a good one. Um, so, uh, so what do you? What other panels do you have going on later in the con? Oh wow, what do I have? Um, so I have one on collaboration and writing, which should be interesting. That's tomorrow at 1, if any of you guys want oh, to. Oh, I have How to Not Write a Terrible Story. That's one of my future panels. That's a good one. You are an expert in that, actually. Thank you. I'm <laughs> glad that I have your vote of confidence. You do. Um, I'm an expert in not sucking. Yay. <laughs> yes. Thank you, one person who said it. I knew someone was going to. <laughs> um... And, of course, there's lots of other stuff going on at Rainforest. There's a whole bunch of um, of uh, award things going on here, too, tomorrow. Yeah, it's like award extravaganza up in this. Yeah, it is. Um, there's um, Coyote Awards and Ursa Awards and Ursa Hall of Fame Awards and Ursa Receptions and, and whatnot going on. I think most of that is in the con book, if you want to look that up. Yeah. And... Uh, then our the panel we just got out of was the how to write or not how to it was writing erotic writing erotic, writing furry erotica I don't remember what it was called it's like writing parentheses writing more for grown ups yeah writing for well, people who are old enough to read because there was another writing erotica panel last night. right 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 um, writing for grown ups but there were, there was some interesting discussion there um, people talked about terminology which is always fun and uh, the importance of real world experience which we always try to stress. And uh, what else? What was good? What was a good topic? Uh, we sort of talked about the notion of shame that comes from, you know, or that should and should not come from being somebody who produces erotic and puts it out there as part of their public image. Yeah, that was an interesting discussion. That actually think took up like almost twenty minutes of the hour, which is cool because we we write this kind of stuff because we want to be uh, sex positive and we want to show people that there's not. There's nothing to be ashamed of that we you, you can connect to people on this level, but also, um, you know, clearly we're we and most people write this stuff behind pseudonyms, um, which in some cases we do because you know we have to for reasons of not getting fired, um, but in in other cases we do it just to kind of keep it separate from our other lives, and so we we talked a lot about that sort of dichotomy where we want to be sex positive but and you know i obviously in the last few years i've gone out and put my face out in front of people associated with 
this name and associated with my adult fiction, and you've done the same. Yeah. And so we're we're kind of. And really, I think we've only benefited from it. I think. Yeah. It's, it's no, been, I agree. It's been much more fun interacting with fans in person. Like the live podcasts are some of the most fun things to do whenever we do these. Yeah. Right no, now. absolutely. These are these are awesome to do, and uh, and you guys uh, welcoming us has just made it easier and more fun every time. It's not and just because note, people come here on their Saturday night to watch me drink while. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Not. It's usually Saturday. It feels like Saturday. It feels though. like Saturday. It's like yeah, yeah it does. Oh um, man, this concert's a drag. <laughs> I'm kidding. We'll edit That's that out. Thing. We'll fix no, it. In no, 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 no. See, it, it's the opposite of that. See, like time usually flies when you're having fun, so it feels like it should be Saturday because we've had so much fun. It's- Okay, I'll give you the save. Yeah, auto logic, whatever. Yeah. So, hey, who has a question for us to talk about? Over there. Right. Talking to the talking to the Panthers microphone. Hello. That's not a euphemism. <laughs> okay, so identify I have, yourself, please. Oh, hi. I'm Greenwater. Okay. Um, I've also been on the show as Taran previously. I've had an idea. You have an adorably cute badge, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate. I'm that. not sure what you're doing with your paws in that badge. Oh, um, I could explain it, but it's long and complicated. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, I could explain it, but I won't. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was, like, right after I became an otter, so it was like, oh, I'm surprised I'm an otter. Oh, I see. So I know how that feels. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> it wasn't that long or complicated. So anyways, um, I have a story that I've been writing, and I haven't written in it for a while, and I guess part of it's I'm kind of it's it's fear, I guess. But um, I have this story in my head, and the climax is the characters have sex for the first time, and I am having trouble building to that point and having the characters get to know each other in a way that feels natural. And the thing is, is they're trapped in a school together, and one is, one is this. Um, very prominent instructor. He's very young, but he's very, like, brilliant in his field. And this other is this um, guest... He's he's attending classes like he's a student, but he's really this very brilliant... He's a guest from another country, per se. And they meet, and it's very awkward at first, because it's like, why are you here? You shouldn't be here. And then I'm having trouble... So why are they trapped in school? Well, they're not is really there trapped. Like a, is there like I mean, a nuclear warning or air raid siren or tornado or something? Because that would be cool. They're trapped in the school together. and Well, you know. okay. They're not really trapped in school. They're, um, they're okay, this magical setting, they're both mages. Um, one is a druid who is from the forest and wild magic. He, he like, the moment that the main character... The, the <laughs> By the way, can I just say, I think it's adorable <laughs> that you're here on, like, an erotic furry writing podcast, and yet you're, like, embarrassed, but, like, yeah, okay, it's it's the story with druids. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's what you're embarrassed about? Like, it speaks volumes about your personality, I just want to say. <laughs> Hey, look, for, for once, I'm not the otter that's broken on the podcast. I know. I, I was, I was going to say, now, now he's bright red otter. <laughs> oh, okay. You can do this. <laughs> so, I mean, they're from two very different worlds. They're, they're, I say they're trapped. They're trapped. They're not really trapped. They're free to go anywhere they want. But this is kind of, they're in this tower. It's Zerun is the name of the tower which isn't important, I guess, but they're mages, and this is really the only place, this is the only school of magic in the entire world. So they're trapped by circumstance. Yes. Um, and Trapped by destiny. Ooh, actually, yes, but no. <laughs> That's not important in, in, in the scope of the story. Isn't um, it, though? Sorry. <laughs> you otters. But, um, like I said, one's a prominent instructor and one is, is like a guest. And um, they start out by making a bet with one another as to who can impress the other one first. And I'm ha- I just, I'm not sure how to proceed to the moment where they really figure out, hey, I like you. So one, just from, from listening to the, the recap there uh one of the things i would suggest is if 
keep in mind as you're writing, if they get to the point where they're making that bet with each other, mm-hmm. on some level already they know. Yeah, like that, okay. that, that smacks of really creative that is foreplay. A, yeah, that is, that is like... <laughs> That is like you, you know, in third grade when you were pulling a girl's hair, and they're like, "Oh, that means he likes you." Um, that is basically what that is, just with grown-up people. Okay, so in my head, one of the characters, the character that is the the story is told from the perspective of the instructor, and not the guest. And I think the guest already knows that, but the instructor doesn't. I'm having trouble portraying that, like he doesn't realize that hey i like this guy but um hmm i think i'm giving you a chance if you have something yeah go for it it. it's it's a really tricky thing to impart to a reader something that the character doesn't know and the character is being used as a filter uh, you need to sort of do a, t- a sort of unreliable narrator thing but almost like in reverse like make sure that the reader knows that you know whoever this is being you know narrated through you know isn't being a hundred percent on the up and up um and you can you can do it by like having you know really obvious things happen and having the reaction just not match up to what the reader has just seen as reality um and another another way to do that and Perhaps a slightly more, slightly less artful and more transparent way, but perhaps a little bit um, easier and more fun. Um, not necessarily more fun. I don't mean to diss your idea. Your idea was wonderful. Um, but you can have so uh, give the character a more perceptive friend, um, who who says like, you know, why are you wasting your time making this stupid bet to impress this guy? And your character's like. I don't know. I just have to do it. He is pissing me off. And he's like, and have the friend kind of question his motives and have him be very strongly like, no, I mean, my friend's just being stupid. He doesn't understand, but make it clear that he, you know, the character doesn't understand either. And the friend is actually like seeing it from the outside. It's like, what you're doing doesn't really make sense. Um, where, uh, can we, can we go all highbrow with the unreliable narrator and go refer it. him to uh, Ishiguro? Sure. Um, I see no reason not to. So when, I, when, when I think writing about you know gay furry druid hookups, you know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So if you want to go, if you want to go, like look at a literary route for unreliable narrators, um, there's a book by Kazuo Ishiguro called "When We Were Orphans," which has a it's a it's narrated in the first person, and it's a character who is super unreliable. Like he has constructed this whole fantasy world about what happened in his life and it's to the point where he he claims to be like this really brilliant detective and is talking to police and it's clear he really is a good detective and the police think he's a good detective but he keeps ascribing these motives to the police like they'll say innocent things and he'll say oh i know why they said that they said that because of this and as the reader you're looking at it and you're like i don't necessarily get that but i'll buy it and then he does it enough that you start to understand that he has constructed this whole world for himself which is partially connected to reality but not entirely um so that's it so that's a good book i mean and that's it's something you can do is just have his reactions be kind of at odds with what is actually happening and the main things that the reader will believe if is it first person it is well it's third person but it's but third person limited. close yeah limited, yeah um so one of the, the the things that the reader knows are objectively actually happening are most easily other people's dialogue. Like, you don't change the words that other people say, but what you can change is you can have the other people say things, and, you know, your reaction to them might be, oh, that seems like a perfectly innocent getting to know you, and then have your character be like, why did he say something like that? Is he trying to get at me? Is he trying to get under my skin? And kind of react differently, and that tells the reader that you're you're not you're filtering heavily through the character. Okay. That that makes a lot of sense. And I um, actually hadn't even considered other characters besides those other two at this point. So that actually is very helpful. It's always good to have side characters to fill out because the side characters you can play with and then make the side characters like quirky and fun because they don't have to carry any weight in the story. So, you know, just picture some of your friends and take their qualities to extremes or just, you know, pick somebody like if it's mages, you know, there's 
you can do all kinds of goofy things with mages. So, and especially druids. Oh, yeah. And have somebody so. be like the the stereotypical druid where they're like, I only drink organic filtered water and I only eat fruit and therefore I don't have to shower ever. <laughs> um, Say. That's from the Steve Jobs biography, by the way. Steve Jobs, when he was starting Apple, was like a fruitarian and believed that that meant he only had to shower like once a week. I, too soon. The more you know. <laughs> no, too soon was that Onion headline. Um, do we have any other questions from... The, yes. You're prepared and halfway to the mic, so... Hi, my name is Lychee. Hi. Um, say that again? Lychee. Lychee. I saw you like the, the den. Yeah, like the... Yes. Good. Like the yeah, I talked to you briefly. Yeah. Um, so I'm writing a story. I've been writing a story for about a year. It's it's writing. Um, amongst, <laughs> I feel that. How long is it? I the don't story. know yet. I've written a, maybe a total of I don't know, like Microsoft Word documents, twelve point font, maybe like twenty plus pages of this stuff, and okay. then yeah. ad hoc um, like. Um, character sheets of like questions and answers about the characters cool that's a good exercise yeah um but um i don't know where to go in my story of the theme in terms of beginning middle of ending i have like points um and i think that as i write it i'll tie it up but i have themes that i want to address in the story and i'm wondering what kind of situations would be really good as example situations to put into the story to address these themes and some of the themes are um some of the themes are putting yourself into other people so much that you forget to take care of yourself or forget to address yourself, the idea of extreme selflessness, um, and then also the idea of an untraditional family unit. Um, and then I think I think those are the two main major ones. Oh, also dealing with, um, not obsession, but like fascination over someone um, and anger and regret at them for abandonment or for like they had potential, why didn't they do this? I'm upset because of them. That kind of thing. And so, I mean, writing the story, beginning, middle, to end, I have said, but situations where those themes would be developed, I'm at a little bit of a loss in. The setting is sci-fi, it's future sci-fi, um, it's pseudo-dystopian in this particular city, where there's sort of like the, the super like pseudo-fascist areas of the city, um, and then there's sort of the underground areas of the city a little bit. One of the main characters ends up working for the mafia, so there's the duality be- between, say, fascism and underground freedom, um, but that's just a, sort of like a setting. But these themes wow. I want to pull out. That, that's very interesting. I was going to say, first of all, I want to congratulate you on having what seems to be a pretty good game plan for this and for actually thinking about things like, you know, theme and, you know, high concept, whereas a lot of people, they sort of, they get to story and plot and don't really think much beyond that. So, I mean, that that is commendable. Um, my first piece of advice, though, is to finish your first draft first, get your story down in a form because like you said like okay you have yes. the beginning and and you have it mapped out in your mind you will be amazed at how different your perspective on it will be once you get that down on the page you'll probably change it afterwards but once you sort of see it in a whole you'll be able to look at it and go okay all right what is this story really about what can i tweak on it and then when you're going through on your subsequent drafts that's when you're really going to want to start looking into things like you know okay how do i support theme how do i carry across you know these these motifs and i mean yeah you, you're nodding so i'm guessing that you no total total agreement and, and write the story down first um a couple pieces of advice as far as like carrying out themes if uh, as you're writing the story, you carry these themes in your head and say, and, and with like shortcuts, selflessness, uh, abandonment, potential, things like that. Um, as you start writing situations, what you'll do, you'll you'll come up on a scene and you'll kind of think, okay, how does this, is there anything in here that kind of maps to the themes? And you'll be like, oh, what if I tweak this a little bit so that such and such happens? And you could kind of work those in but again, as he says, once you finish the first draft, you'll have a much better idea of what you want the dominant theme of the story to be and what you want maybe some supporting themes to be. Um, another, so two, two suggestions I have to, to sort of bring out theme. Um, one, is, one is imagery and one is 
subplots slash side characters. Could you say that again? We'll have a video so that I can record you doing that. So I can remember all of this instead of having to write it all down. Sure. You know we're um, recording this right now, though. I know, but we'll like pieces. I don't want to search the entire audio post. But. Right, right. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't want to listen to all your other. Pardon me. I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't want to have to listen to the whole lunatics unleashed thing again either. So I sympathize with you there. So, okay. To recap, finish the first draft. Um, as you go through and are finding scenes, you'll keep these themes in your head. Things like abandonment, selflessness. Uh, family, and as you come up on each scene that you're writing plot-wise, you if you're keeping these things in your head, you'll say, okay, how can this map to my theme somehow? And construct that, but as, as KM said, um, when you finish your first draft, when you get to the end of the story, you'll have a much better idea of what the story is about, what you want to be the dominant theme, what you want to be the supporting themes. Um, and that said, so as I, what I was going to go into was imagery and side characters or subplots um, imagery is a good one where you don't want to you don't want to be too heavy with it but so the theme of selflessness for example put have have an object or an image that kind of embodies that theme like supposing the main character has a plant that they're supposed to take care of but because they're always out taking care of this other person the plant is neglected and wilts away and then you know the plant stands in for them and then maybe you have like this friend who's trying to help them take better care of themselves who comes over and is like your apartment was a mess your plant was dying i watered your plant and then you have that symbolic the friend is watering the plant trying to you know and you can you can tie those together with with objects um and you can also have side characters who are doing the same thing that you want the main character to do or doing the opposite thing and show you know different outcomes for that whether it's a good or a bad outcome and just and and have it be you know different situations don't make it super obvious like you know the main character abandoned his family to go teach poor orphans in the slum and this other character turned down a job teaching poor orphans in the slums to stay with his family and you know so those would be some of my suggestions as far as how you could like bring out the themes a little st- uh, strong more strongly yeah and another reason to not overthink theme and all that on your first draft is if you hyper focus on crafting an individual scene to sort of carry this across before you've gotten this you know perspective on a draft as a whole it's it's going to probably result in a lot of wasted effort because a lot of scenes like that that are super intricately detailed are probably the ones that are going to be changing the most when you go over it again. Um, the best sort of thematic stuff that you'll get is probably going to be things that you're going to put in subconsciously without even realizing it. And you find that a lot when you reread yeah. your first draft. Like, you're like, oh, like... I totally didn't realize that I did a thing. And it's like, okay, like I missed the opportunity here and here, but now that I see it, I can go back and put it in there. And you know, when you go back over it like that, you, it's, it's happened to me repeatedly whenever I write longer works. And it's, it's one of the better surprises of, uh, of writing when you realize that you know, you, you've outsmarted yourself by leaving yourself these openings to sort of tie everything all together. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, from what you said, it, it sounds really promising. The fact that you're putting this much thought into it uh, from the get-go. I mean, I'm... Yeah. I, I wish you'd mess with that. It sounds really yeah. interesting. There's a lot of thought, but not, a, not unfortunately not a ton of product. But what you're sounding sounds like almost identical to what my writing teacher taught me, which was, okay, you write this story, you're going to have a whole story, I want you to write two sentences at the beginning, two sentences in the middle, two sentences at the end, and that is what you have for your first draft turn it in. And, of course, the, we did that with screenplays, and we did that with, like, um... Mm with like a, a pl- like a play production and then like okay you mark the climax and then you fill in the sentence and then you add more sentences to like those skeletons and then you yeah, do it I've heard Screen- of that screenplay writing is like a great too, exercise yeah. for writing so. in general it's, yeah. yeah as far as story structure goes yeah. screenplays are a great just example just in fact in, in like representation of like examples or like like that that plant thing really helped do you have any more like small like key trick not, not I don't want to say tricks but like things that you have done that that helps that you like okay um nature what in nature represents this or what in or like what kind of like symbolic object or like situation like iconic situations I don't want to say like breakups with um boyfriends or, f- or girlfriends or um fr- like family deaths but like situations that like will turn a character uh, to think about this theme like um so 
Yeah, stressful. I mean, stressful situations are always. Um, what, what's the list? You know, death, um, changing jobs, moving. I kind of want to avoid like, like a big like. Oh no! Now you must change your life because grandma died or something like that. I, I want to avoid the big, right. the big inertia. And I want the 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 thing that the individual character would focus on themselves. To well, be you set up. Of a big so you, thing. yeah. So you set up something at the beginning where the character is like this is the thing this is the thing that i want and that becomes kind of the thing that you're tracking all the way through and suppose it's you know i don't know the character plays golf and wants to make the the cut at the pro-am tournament in six weeks but because he's taking care of this other person he's neglecting the golf practice and he's like i'll just get to it later i'll just get to it later and then they have this you know cut round and he realizes oh i haven't done anything i have two weeks and you know his other friend comes in and is like i've been practicing on the range every day and this other guy's getting really good and you're not going to make it and you know you can you you decide kind of plot wise what's important to your character and where are the milestones so you want to set up something that has those those milestones where you could say okay you need to get to this point and then they miss it and then realizing that they missed it or not realizing that they missed it becomes a big deal. So, like, establish something from the beginning and then I'd have it come back later that they that they notice later and have it just continue yeah. through the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, like it's, I mean, that's one of the sort of classes, classic bits of, you know, structuring. Um, I don't establish want to, a want. Yeah, I, I, I don't mm-hmm. want to keep coming back to, like, that, that scene you keep pointing out in the original Star Wars, but, like, it, it reflects the situation so well. Go for it. Do okay. It. So Kyle loves to bring this one up all the time. Is you know, everyone's my favorite bit of Star Wars. And every time I watch the the movie, which is a lot, <laughs> whenever we I get to that scene, I just think about like how well done it is. So the the scene we're talking about is, um, it's after they've escaped from the Death Star in the original Star Wars, they go back to the Rebel base, and they're planning to attack the Death Star. And, and you have to to set this up. Yeah. You have to remember how we're introduced to Luke. Yeah, we're introduced to Luke as a kid who's bored and the first thing you see him doing is he's looking through binoculars at the space battle and going i want to be part of that i want to be i want to be out there where there's excitement and adventure yeah and then you know his his aunt and uncle are like no you have to stay here you have responsibilities you need to do this and he's like oh but i don't want to do that and he's he's really whiny and kind of obnoxious and you know then he gets tragically freed from these responsibilities and gets carted off on this big adventure by like the wise old Jedi Knight that you know there's this like whole idolatry going on there and you know so then there's the scene here and he's like literally like about to get into his his ship to join in this attack on the Death Star and Han Solo comes out to him and he's like look what are you doing throwing your lot in with these people like this is a lost cause you're throwing your life away it's like come with me he's like you know i could use a pilot like you you know know, we can go off and do this and basically like han solo is literally offering luke everything he wanted at the beginning of the movie it's like on a platter like come do this we'll go on these grand space adventures together we'll be free we'll get to do like everything you've always wanted and you know at this point the movie looks like no these people need me i have to do this i have responsibilities (laughs) Mm -hmm. so You you get to you introduce something that the character wants, and then you can turn it around by yeah. As the as the uh, for for something that I found that is also like keeping me going to think about writing. It's it's two two sentences that have just been changing my ideas about writing. Is until we know what the character wants, we don't know what the story is about, and until yep. we mm-hmm. n- know what they're up against, we don't care. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's, those, are, those, those are great. Actually, great. we're gonna yeah. we're gonna steal those. Yeah, we're stealing that. <laughs> take them. Take them. Courtesy, courtesy of here. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. This has helped uh, a lot. Thank you. No, and thank you we're for, glad for to hear it. presenting us with such a great yes. thing to talk about. Um, okay. One of the things one of the things we often say is in a in a short story by the end of the first page page and a half you should know what the main character wants. In a novel by the end of the first chapter you should know what the main character wants. Generally, this isn't always true, uh, and you look at it, example like famous counterexamples in film include Psycho, which starts with thirty minutes of a plot that becomes ultimately almost completely irrelevant to the, what the real movie is. Um, spoiler, sorry. Yeah. And but because it was new, it was utilized but, as what, great effect. But yeah, yeah. And but because but that's if you want to, you know. If you're writing, if you're if you're starting out with your first draft, that's that's the rule of thumb. Right away, tell the reader this is what the character wants. This is why you should care about it. So that's great. Yeah. 
Um, do we, we have a, a time limit? We have about 10 more minutes, and we have somebody who I think is waiting to ask a question over there. Uh, kind of going off of the, the last um, question, I've got a similar situation, been working on a story probably five years now, and my problem is I have the beginning, I have the end, I have character description, I have absolutely every aspect of everything I need, except I don't have the middle of the story, and what my problem is... The elusive middle. Well, the problem is, is I actually have too much of it. I have this, my main character and his cohorts going in... 20 different directions and the problem is trying to narrow it down so that rather than trying to I need to get to this location and I need to find all of these objects and I need to defeat this person and I need to do this and that and this it's trying to find paring it down to just one thing so that it has that direction where I'm not trying to confuse the character and confuse myself in the process um, so that that sounds to me a little bit like you need to just write whatever you need to write and worry about sorting it out when you go back to edit it. Yeah. Because right now it sounds like you've got a lot of stuff going on, and I would just say write down whatever you've got, and if it's confusing, it's confusing, but when you get to the end of the book, you will have a much better idea of which scenes are necessary and which scenes are not. Yeah, I, w- I would sort of recommend sort of getting get it out of your head and onto the page and then pare it down from there once you can see it. Okay, so I, just basically stream of thought it and write absolutely everything I can and then take the red pen and cut out a third of it. Yeah, yep. Cut down two-thirds of it. Yeah. It's, it's much easier to pick apart, you know, pick out pieces of something that tangibly exists than it is to do it with just ideas. Which, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it shouldn't be that different, but in practice it really No, it, it really is, because when stuff's rattling around in your head, you don't know what shape it is. Yeah, and, it, and really what this is doing to me is it's actually affecting the rest of my writing, making it so that it's nothing else but this story is coming to me. So, it, yeah, it sounds, from what you're saying, just write it down and get just it out of my writing, head so I can finish keep writing. Finish your first draft. Okay. Um, uh, more questions? Over here, come on up to the mic. Hello, uh, my name's Nitro Box. Um, I was kind of had uh, I had a bit of a problem with uh, inspiration overload. I can't really tell with all the ideas that I get which ones I should run with and which ones I should forget about and keep going with what I already had. Uh, how to figure out which ones uh, strike gold? All puns intended. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it was that, a nice that, one. Yeah, that I, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say anything in response. To that. <laughs> Go on, go for it. I started the last one. So, inspiration overload. Uh, in this case, you sort of, uh, based on what you were saying earlier about being forced to choose between stories that you're obliged to write and stories that you more want to, mm-hmm. um, that's, although in this case it doesn't really seem like that's so much of an issue. Is Yeah, you want to write all of them. Um, I would try writing the beginnings of a few of them and see which ones grip you the most when you're doing it. And they like, I guarantee you some of these ideas will come to you more naturally and more fluidly than others, and I would focus on those ones first. Part of... I forgot. I'm not allowed to have sharp objects. Um, part, for, of, uh, part of what again, it's... for once, I'm glad it sounds like It sounds like one of the things that is, that is sort of bothering you is you're afraid of wasting your time. You're kind of like, you know, I have to pick the right ideas, and I don't want to start an idea if it's not going to be, if it's not going to be worth my while. And I have all these ideas, and I want to make sure I pick the right one because I don't want to waste time on the wrong ideas. And um, I would say you don't know which is the wrong idea until you've tried them. So I would kind of go along with him and say, write down, start writing each one of them. Don't do that thing where you start writing one story and then get bored and start writing another story and then get bored and start writing a third story and get bored and then start writing a fourth story and get bored and start writing a fifth. I mean, some of them are going to stick with you. And you kind of have to follow that. Just think about, like, focus on one, make notes so that you don't lose the ideas. 
but make notes on one of the stories and kind of follow it for a while and give it a chance. And a lot of people complain about getting bored in the middle of stories um, because they're just like, well, you know, I had this idea and I liked the setup, but then I got bored when I had to actually plot it out. And if that's going to be your problem, you're not going to finish any of these. Yeah. But there will be some that you like more than others, and sometimes it's just, you know, these all seem like neat setups, but some of them have more potential. And you just have to... You have to try them and not be afraid to waste your time because none of this is a waste of time. The when you whatever you do with writing makes you incrementally a little bit a better writer. It makes you better aware of which ideas are going to bear fruit for you. It makes you better at developing the ideas. And it's so it's not a waste of time to write something for a couple of days and then decide, yeah, you know what, this doesn't really interest me. Because you still have that. Yeah. My analogy here is that if you can imagine you have a pistol and you fire off 10 rounds in sequence at a target, maybe those are all going to go wide. But if you fire just one big like blast from a shotgun, a lot of them are going to be hurt, but there's at least some of, something's going to hit closer to the middle if you just kind of do this shotgun approach. You just like just go for it. Like the, the creatively motivated part of your brain will latch on to something in this, this over-inspired uh, tangle that you seem to have going around. That's a really interesting analogy. <laughs> Does that help at all? Thank you. Okay, good. All right, one more question. We have Earth in the back, who I swear I only recognize you every year because of the hat. Hello, I'm Earth Digger. Um, I have a statement and a question. Um, the statement is... Uh, I kind of want to hear your fanfic reading partly to see how it could possibly be worse than the synopsis of the actual show. Um, I would argue that it isn't. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I did not write it to be worse. but Well, then you have nothing to fear. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're up on So Furry, so you're, you are allowed yeah. to go read them. They're up online. Yeah, they're there. I haven't hidden them at all. Anyway, the question is, I'm wondering... What sort of things do you do to get into the creative mood to get into writing? Um, we've talked a lot about the process of plotting out a story, um, do's and don'ts and things like that. But what sort of thing do you do to get into the proper mindset to sit down and write? You know, what, what creatively energizes me is seeing other people's creativity, reading good stories, you know, seeing good you know, movies, good TV shows, anything that just sort of like, you know, hits me like, oh, like, that was really well done. And that excites me to want to give the same experience to other people. That is what really gets my brain going. Uh, I have outbursts of creative energy whenever I come back home from a furry convention because I see like all these things that people are doing and like all these things that you know the discussions that we have like you know at podcasts like these and the panels and you know it it's it's kind of like a like a battery recharge like that you know that's it's this big sort of like you know focus of of creativity and it's it's I I am able to draw a lot out of that um on the smaller scale just on like the day-to-day basis uh, okay, you know it's, you know I've I'm done with my work for the day. It's not time to do my, you know social engagements in the evening. I have a few hours. I have to sit down and write. What do I want to do? You know I'll throw on some music that you know brings a lot of imagery to mind. Or you know I'll I go for walks. I take a lot of walks. Walks are really good for me to sort of put myself in a mindset. Um, I'm notoriously bad when it comes to writing at home because home is full of distractions. So I go out to coffee shops to write, but instead of driving there where it would take like three minutes, I'll go on a walk where it will take 20 minutes to go there. And in those 20 minutes, I'm thinking like, okay, what do I want to do? How do I want to do this? So that when I do sit down, my brain is already in that mindset and I'm not wasting as much time as I might otherwise. Um, those, are, those are all real good, uh, especially like reading. Um, reading is inspirational. Um, going to conventions like this is inspirational. There is a great, there's a great video which I'm pretty sure we've mentioned on the podcast before, mm-hmm. which is John Cleese talking to. Uh, just uh, go to YouTube and search for John Cleese creativity, and I've seen that. it's yeah, it's like this 36 minute video. Uh, one of the real interesting things that came out of that was he talks about people having two modes of thought, and one is the open mode and one is the closed mode. And the closed mode is where you are very task focused, and you're like. I must create these messages. I must, you know, email this person. I must do this job. I must get these things done. The open mode is where you're more 
free associating, thinking uh, creatively and stuff like that. And his contention is that we spend way too much time in closed mode. And for him, it always takes him about a half hour of forcing himself to relax to get from closed to open where he can like open up and be more creative and stuff. Um, for me, for me personally, I am a, a somewhat of a source of annoyance and frustration to some of my friends because what it takes to get me into the mood to write is I open my laptop and call up the story file. Um, <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and like, Kit will come in and be like, okay, we have to leave in 15 minutes. And I'm like, okay. And I'll open the laptop and just write for like 15 minutes. And he'll come in and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm writing. And he's like, did you just start? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Like, on the way up to Rainforest, I wrote a con book story, or I, fin- I wrote the last half of a con book story for Furry Fiesta. And he was like, when did you do that? Did you do that while I was asleep? <laughs> I was like, yeah, pretty much. Oh, God. Like, I feel like whenever I go to this guy's house, it's like, hey, I'm just going to work on this story while I cook dinner and have a conversation with three people and watch the football game. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've, I've used my ADD to my advantage or something. Um, I'm <laughs> Sean. I'm... No, he, he, he oh. gave me a kiss. Oh, from, from this angle, look, he just pushed you away from him. <laughs> um, but no, maybe I've, I was I've, projecting. Um, I'm sorry. I do I do a lot of thinking about the stories when I'm not at the keyboard because that sort of that gets me excited about what I'm going to write when I do sit down. And so the times when I do that, it's because I've been kind of thinking, and I'm like, okay, I know what the next thing I want to write is. And so if I write that, then it gets that done and it also puts the story back into my head so I start thinking about what the next next thing is going to be and so on and so forth so I just always kind of keep thinking about the characters and have them walk along with you in the back of your head okay thank you very much um, okay before we wrap this up I want to make a book recommendation to people um, because I just got this. One of my favorite favoritist authors has released a short story collection which includes three stories that have won the Nebula Award and one of those three also just a month ago won the Hugo Award. Um, the author is Kidge Johnson, K-I-J, and she is also the author of a, of a book called The Fox Woman, which is about a Japanese woman in the 13th century, something like that. Uh, Kari um, can back you up on that, I'm sure. A fox who becomes a woman in order to pursue a romance with this man that she falls in love with. Was it later? He's referring to Japanese dynasty, which doesn't help you. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Anyway, and her other novel, which is out, is Fudoki, which is the story of a cat person traveling through Japan. Um, The stories in this, the collection is called At the Mouth of the River of Bees. (laughs) Question mark? And it includes, (laughs) yes, not bees. Yeah, I know. Um, it is out from a from a publisher called Small Beer Press. You can find them on Google. Um, if you buy directly from the publisher, they get more money. And the this, the book includes um, stories such as Wolf Trapping, which includes actual wolves, Fox Magic, which includes actual foxes, um, the evolution of trickster tales in the American Northwest, which, which includes, includes actual tales, which includes coyotes, um, and uh, she's. She's very furry for an award-winning science fiction author. It's it is an amazing book, and you guys should all go buy it because it is. It, the other thing about this book is, when I read it, when I read the, her stories, they make me want to write cool things like this. She has a story called Story Kit, which is not like Story Kit. It's like Story Kit, which is about assembling the elements and create and, and crafting them into a story and yet it is a story and it's just amazing that, that's so meta and I, I haven't even read it and I'm jealous it is oh, oh my god I saw her read it at a reading at a, I saw her read it and it, she was yeah uh, anyway she's one of the she's, and she's also an, a really amazing person um, I had the good fortune to work with her for a short time and and uh, I'm just in awe of her writing talent. So, again, 
At the Mouth of the River Bees by Kids Johnson. You guys should all go out and buy that. It will make you better writers and better people. It's apparently <laughs> fur-friendly. And it is very fur-friendly. She has actually been to furry conventions. So, uh, And with that, I think we will wrap it up. But we want to thank all like 1,200 of you for coming down here yeah. on Friday night um, to... Uh, to share your to share your Seattle night with us, yep. um, we want to thank our microphone panther for his fourth year of service. Next year, you get a certificate. Um, we want to thank Running Cat for providing the libations. We want to thank Sparf for providing the delicacies. We want to thank Kit for producing and being our tech savvy wolf, as always, setting us up. Without whom, none of you would be able to hear us, and, and for helping to keep people in their seats while waiting patiently for us to get set up before we started talking. Yes. I know a lot of people are already like eyeing the bucket in the Audience back. Audience like, wrangler. It's like, oh, he brought the bucket back. Like, you're drinking out of the bucket. I'm like, shh, like, not everyone's seen the bucket yet. Like, it's a surprise for <laughs> He's certain got people. the bucket. <laughs> this is, this is the, uh, the, the first anniversary of the bucket. It is. It is? Yes. That, of not that bucket. No, that yeah. bucket. It is. <laughs> it was the orange bucket. Yes. I remember it. No, no, I know. I actually have two orange buckets, so I, oh. say, I don't know if I brought the exact orange bucket. I see. I'm going to pull back the curtain and, you know, ruin the magic, you know, like a fursuiter. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, um, and, and lastly, we, we once again this year, sadly, are missing our official unsheathed snow leopard artist, Xavian. Oh, you're right. We are. And is he at the con? Yeah, I saw him. Oh, he missed oh, it wow. then. Mm. I know he. I, I know he'd been having some troubles, and uh, yeah. so I'm glad he's made it. But we we're we also, miss him we're, at the we're, we're at a different we're at a different night and time than we usually are this year too. Yeah. Um, and and thank you again to all of you guys for coming for asking great questions. Yeah, we had we had a great round of questions tonight. By yeah, the way. yeah, I, I, they were it, really it good. Was very very cool. And we will be here again next year. Oh, and we certainly will. We'll look forward to seeing uh, all of you guys again. Okay. What? That's all. I guess that's all.